Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is going on, you guys? This is Brian Sumner, and we are on episode 8 of the Foolishness Podcast. Please go over, review, share, let some people know. The goal of this ministry, this podcast, these stories, is to encourage people and reach people and shine the light of the gospel. And we're going to switch it up today. Today I was thinking through, what are we going to be doing? There's been multitude episodes, some teaching, some with guests. And in just a few days, I'm going to be going and sharing at a big men's conference out here in Long Beach at Cornerstone Church with a couple of different buddies of mine, Pete McKenzie and Dr. Jerry Rube. I'll be sharing on the third session. And so what I'm going to do is record that podcast that they've asked me to share on marriage and the gospel And we're going to play it for you today. And why is this relevant? Because this will be two days of men digging into the Word, unpacking their baggage, pressing into the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and they're having me to come in and really focus on marriage and how that is tied to the gospel, how everything is tied back. So I'm going to jump right in here and now. Stay tuned. God bless. Our third and final speaker for this conference is Brian Sumner. Uh, Brian was born and raised in Liverpool, England. How many of you guys try to pull off a, a British accent at times? And how many of you guys are like me? You start sounding like Crocodile Dundee's Aussie accent instead. Yeah, I do it all the time. Brian was a teenage phenom in skateboarding uh, growing up, known well all over the world. But today... He's a pastor, author, and international Christian speaker. God captured Brian's heart during a time of divorce, depression, and seeking for truth. But today, as he looks back, he sees the reconciliation, redemption, and reconstruction of his marriage and his new mission in life as being nothing short of miraculous. Amen. He's the author of Never Fails, a 30-day marriage devotional, and I'm looking forward, I hope you are too, to hearing Brian Sumner. Let's welcome him up. How are you guys doing? All right, you guys, let's pray. God, I pray right now that men get what is going on. This is such a privilege, God. It's so true that only 10% of churches out in the U.S. are doing men's ministry, are encouraging men. And God, you are doing a work here. That as this coach would influence the central parts of America and throughout, God, use us in our homes, in our lives, in our walks, in our schools, in our jobs. Thank you, Jesus. That God, they wouldn't just see this as a time of some preachers, one with a funny sound and accent, but instead they would say, the risen Christ abides in me and is present and go, would you have your way in our lives? It's in your name we pray and say, amen. Is it sounding okay back there, you guys? Well, guys, I am so blessed. The Bible says give honor where honor is due. And I just want to honor the house. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Terry. Thank you, speakers. Thank you for the workers. Amen. But most importantly, we want to honor who? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And so getting into this, we say, how can we possibly have three guys speaking about marriage? How can we spend this much time unpacking what a man is and who a man is made in God's image? Is your marriage good? Is it bad? Is it falling apart? Some of you are asking all these questions while others of you are simply saying, wow, this guy, this guy really does have a crazy accent. Amen. But we in this room are a bunch of Americans trying to speak what language? English. So I am not the one with the accent. Let the truth set you free. If I don't tell you that, you will not hear another word that I say. It is true. But if we were to stop and say, how can you have a whole conference about marriage? If I asked all of you, what is the Bible about? You could say King Jesus. It's about the cross, the blood, the resurrection. It's about the fruit of the Spirit. It's about so many things. But you know what it actually is about? It's about marriage. Genesis begins with a marriage. Revelation ends with a marriage. And the Bible is a story of a king called Jesus who came to slay a serpent called Satan to redeem his bride, the church. That's you and me. Amen. And whether you're going through hell in your marriage right now, keep looking up because at the end of time, we'll be entering eternity to sit at the feet of Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. I say all this today and it sounds great, but years ago I didn't know this. Being raised in Liverpool, England, I had no clue about whatever I was just saying. You're singing to this invisible God. I couldn't care less about some kind of a conference. To give you my story in a nutshell, some of you are falling apart. You're like, God, I just need hope. If you can remember my name, remember that Jesus transformed me and transformed my life. And that is what he does. Amen. Raised in Liverpool, England, without going to church, say church. Not church, say church with an E. That's tongues for church. Raised in Liverpool, England, I never went to church, but there was one five doors down from us. I played in the fields there, and we played this sport where you take your foot and you kick a ball. So what's it called? Football. Thank you. I played football. I did martial arts. I had no clue about God, and my life was me and my purpose. But at the age of 13, 14, I watched a movie called Police Academy 4. Remember that film? In that film was skateboarding. That's what I wanted to do. Fast forward a few years, getting a phone call from Tony Hawk. Do you want to come and live in America? Do you want to skateboard? I moved over here and said, yes, amen. Now I'm living in America without God, having no clue, gaining the whole world, still losing my soul. Life was working out. Skating blew up and there's names on your skateboard, names on pants, names on shoes. And I didn't view myself as a prideful guy. I was working hard. My dad was a hard worker. Amen. But I'm living in this land and living the American dream, gaining the whole world, losing my soul. But life's great. And so now I meet this girl. She's beautiful. She's attractive. She's humble. But she has no clue about God. Amen. We fall madly in love. Picture being together for only four months, and we loved each other like crazy. I loved the way she looked, loved the way she made me feel, loved all the things we did together. So who was I really loving? Myself. We didn't know about God. I mean, she's Mexican-Italian. She knows all about the Catholic faith and has all the crosses and the rest, but she'd never been in church a day in her life, nor had I. We've been together for four months. I'm about to go back to England. There's no way I'm going to miss out on this girl. I asked her to marry me on the tower in Huntington Beach, amen? She's crazier than I am because after only four months, she said, let's do it. I couldn't even drive yet. You don't learn to drive till you're 18 in England. And though she drives on the wrong side of the road, like all of you and me, 
spoke with an accent and dared to call football soccer. I heard that. She drove out to Vegas. We got married and our world transformed. Guys, we made every effort to do this the best way we could. I loved her. I wasn't chasing other women. I wasn't trying to live for myself. We were pregnant within a few months. Soon our son is born and there's more money coming in. But who are we not depending upon? Jesus. And no matter where you are in your marriage or life, you knowing the truth is what will lead your life and set you free. Amen. We've been married together for two or three years. We began to fight like crazy. Maybe you're not the right person for me. Maybe the girl that got away or the guy that got away. And before long, we were saying, this is done. I was punching holes in the wall, getting into fights, foul language, angry and mad. And before long, we were divorced. I had accomplished so much in my little bubble of my mind, thinking it was all about me. But now I was divorced. I was angry. I'd made it to America, but I wasn't with this woman. How often would I see my kid? I looked up at God and said, God, whoever you are, because I had no idea. I come from England where we believe in evolution, amen? I come from a place with Charles Darwin on our money. I looked up at God and said, if I can prove you're not real, and some of you are here just to probably hear even this because of your own walk with God, if I can prove that you're not real, then nothing matters. If I can prove there's no God, who cares if I take my life, I was depressed and angry, and I realized if I lived at somewhere like Texas where the shotguns and places around, I believe I wouldn't be alive to this day. I was angry. I was wound up. But I began to challenge God, and what did God do? He began to be faithful. Amen. I began to challenge all these religions, and one day, thankfully, I opened up this book. What did God say to a suicidal skateboarder, Genesis 1, 26 and 27? Let us make man in our image. If I'm made in your image, God, why does my life suck? It's a fair question, right? It's a fair question. If I'm made in, what did God say? Well, Brian, I put your parents in the garden, Adam and Eve, thousands of years ago. And I told them, you're so blessed. Look at everything that I've given you. But there's one thing I just don't want you to do. Just don't eat of what? That tree. And we all ran over there and we all ate of it and we all took photos with it. And we all wanted to be about the tree. Amen. I'm mad at Adam and Eve what they did, but we're no different. I know what's in me. We just heard out of Romans 6 and 7, praise God. But as I'm asking God this, he begins to unfold the text. Well, God, if you're a loving God, what did you do? I began to speak to Adam. I began to speak to Eve. He spoke throughout the whole of the Old Testament, all these crazy covenants, guys. You know what a vegan is? It's someone that doesn't eat meat. Picture being a vegan who's all about the animals, and you read the Old Testament. Every year, because you guys are bad, take the innocent little lamb and shred it to pieces. I was like, Lord, this is barbaric. You're worse than they say. You take the goat and put it outside the city. But now you fast forward, what? A few thousand years and a guy called John the Baptist, his cousin come walking on the shores. What does he say? Behold the Lamb of God. Are you saying, God, that for thousands of years you were speaking of this coming Messiah? Yes. The scapegoat was placed outside of the city. Where did Jesus die? Outside of the city. The blood that was put all over the doorpost. I've got so much sin. God was dealing with me. Exodus 20. Have you guys ever told a lie? If you're not raising your hand right now, you're lying. Amen. Put both hands up. I'd never heard this coming from England of guys like Martin Lloyd-Jones and J.C. Ryle and Charles Spurgeon. Where was this my whole life? But I didn't know God yet. 
and I'd bought a home, and I'd been fighting with this woman for a few years now. I didn't want to live. I was getting into trouble with the police and getting into fights, and I was just hating life. But I remember getting community service. They put me in community service for getting into too many fights in a Christian thrift store, which is funny, amen? They put me in a Christian thrift store where I... And listen, guys, why am I saying all this? Because I want to boast in God. God is a good and faithful God, amen? We're going to get into the marriage stuff, but I want to tell you how God did this. I go into a Christian thrift store, and Hank Williams, I saw the light, is playing on the radio, amen? You get extra hours if you go to the church and cook the burgers and the fries. They give me, I think, the case for Christ as a book to read, and if I read it, I get more hours. So I'm going to God for all my issues, but God's coming to me because of what issue? my sin and my struggle and my separation from him. He began to deal with me, and I realized I knew all about God, but I didn't know him personally. There's an old song from the 70s, that band called Love Song, and it says, many know him well, others just by name. I only knew Jesus in name, but I didn't know him. I'm buying that house, coming home from one of those services. I got in a huge fight with my ex-wife. I'd invited her to live with me. My son was now four or five, and listen, the guy standing before you today, I really thought, I'm going to be around him till he's at least five or six, and then if I choose to take my life anyway, what's the difference? OCD and being a perfectionist, I didn't want to live in a world where I couldn't figure it out, and that is a dangerous place to be. That's why many of these athletes later on take their lives, sadly, amen? I didn't meet Jesus until right there in this moment, getting home, fighting with this wife, I went into the office in my house, got down on my knees and said, God, I'm done. I remember saying Yahweh. So, you know, God knew I was talking to him. Amen. The God of Abraham, Isaac. I mean, listen, I was on my knees. I was like, God, I am done. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This woman's crazy. I'm crazy. I don't know why I can do this. And God began to bring to mind my sin. God began to bring my state. And see, I always say I was going to him to fix my life. But God was coming to me to reveal my life, reveal the death. And in 2004, on my knees in that room, I said, God, I lay down my life. I didn't understand the theology of it and all the rest. I knew I was a sinner. I know that you're good. I need to cry out to you. The goodness of the Lord was leading me to repentance. Amen. I'll give you my life. I'll give you my skating. I'll get baptized. I don't even know why I said it. God, I'll remarry this woman. If you've been divorced, it is painful. It is heavy. You can carry that. We are living in a cursed world. Amen. You see the Old Testament. Israel didn't have to go through all the things they did, but they didn't listen, and there was things that unfolded. And what you may have been through might not have been your fault. We live in a crazy world, and we have to live with that sometimes. Amen. As men, we want closure, and we don't get closure. This side of reality, you know what we get? We get something better. His name's Jesus. Jesus is enough. The book of Job is not a story of suffering. It's a story of God's presence in a man's life. Amen. So there I was on my knees. And this is as crazy as it gets. If you want to become a skeptic when someone says, how did God make himself known? On my face that night, crying and weeping out to God, I need forgiveness. It was as if the presence of God. I just knew that I knew that in one instant, he'd forgiven me. He'd saved me. And I sat up in the house that I still live in. Amen laughing and crying, saying, God, I can't believe this is real. Can we just give it up to the Lord for a moment? And guys, we might, we might have an image, I believe, of my family if it made it on the screen, but, but I came to faith that night 
Three weeks later, my ex-wife came to faith. Amen. Three months later, we were remarried. And this photo is older. See that little kid on the right? That's Dakota. He's almost 19. Amen. Look at this. Think about this. When I go into schools and share, and you're telling all these students, and they think it's silly, then they see this reality, that little girl in the middle, Eden Avery Sumner. She wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for Jesus. Amen. That little guy that I'm holding who's way bigger than that right now, he's crazy. Jude Micah. How's that for a biblical name? Amen. These guys wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for Jesus. Can we just thank him? But guys, here's the reality. I don't really know what everyone's struggling with this week. I mean, since I came to faith, my marriage has been easy. Amen. Since I came to faith, I walk in the spirit. Life is good. The bills don't show up. Those kids act perfectly all the time. In fact, there's a tree that grows money outside of our window. Amen. No. Guys, from a guy that wrote a marriage book, gets a million questions about marriage. Marriage has now become the center of our life. Marriage has now become the main thing that we focus on. Why? Because we wrote the book on how not to be married the way we lived. And so we need to get into God's word and see how to have a godly marriage. Amen? God began to work in our marriage right away. And here's what's crazy. I want to be a little bit more systematic right now and get into some things that we learned throughout. But as we come to faith, because of the skating background, and I would get invited to share our story, and I was everywhere and struggling and wrestling. But people would hear and say, man, what did God do? And the truth of it is, we would sit with these couples at a Starbucks or wherever, at a house, and they'd say, you know, we were raised in the church. Dad was a pastor. Grandpa was a pastor. Maybe they were a pastor. We can't go to someone else. We've read all the verses. We understand it. We know it. We've been teenage sweethearts. But we think God has missed it. We think God is allowing us out of this marriage. We think God is leading us out of this marriage. We think that lady in the prayer group that was being overly spiritual and said, the Lord has released you from this marriage... We're going to go with what she's saying. Amen? As they would say this, I was shocked. And I was shocked, and it sounds crazy, but if you think about the words of Jesus, what does he say? He says, my sheep hear my voice. Amen? But does he say anything else? He says, they hear my voice, and they what? They follow me. It's one thing to hear his voice, guys, and I know we're not going to do it perfect, but it's another thing to follow him. He said, my sheep are going to hear my voice and they're going to follow me. And in Matthew 4, when Satan is coming against Jesus, he says, it's written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by the what? Word of God. We're told in the Old Testament that the word is a lamp unto our feet. So were they willing to follow God's word? We hear the word that Jesus is the word of God and we just think it's a nice title. It's not. It's everything that is ever written about Jesus. Is speaking about who? Jesus. This book is alive. Do you believe that? But if I don't stand upon it, it may as well be dead. As pastor said, put yourselves under the word of God. Listen, this is a revelation for the whole world. Anyone can read this, an unbeliever. But to you and I, it only becomes illuminated when we begin to trust it. So many of these people were saying, we want God to basically make our lives better. But we don't want to trust in the things of God And so as they would sit with me, I'd just give them one verse. Let's just start here. Guys, have you ever read that who God has brought together, let no man separate? Yeah, 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 we've heard that. Okay, well, what about this verse, I would say? Matthew 19, 6. Who God has brought together, let no man what? Separate. 
And then I tell them again, who God has brought together, let no man separate. He said, until you trust in this and say, we're holding fast this no matter what, and begin to live by faith, you're not going to begin to see the changes. Amen? And if you're sitting here today thinking, I'm ready to walk out of it, why do I want to challenge you with this idea of divorce? Because they were over their marriages. They were hating their marriages. They were struggling. Why? Because marriage is tough. Amen? Marriage is tough. We need to just say that. We call the book Never Fails, but we're going to call it Death by Marriage. Amen? It sounds funny, but what is Christianity? Christianity is coming to faith. Pastor said it last night. Taking up your cross and following him. Less of me, more of him. I must decrease, he must increase. My wife tells me I'm crazy, and I say, babe, you're the crazy one. You actually married me twice. Amen? Some of the best advice I ever heard a one-liner was this. Listen, would you marry yourself? Put that on your truck right there when you pull the window down. Put it in the bathroom, in the mirrors. Pastor said, would you marry yourself? Because Christianity, if you're single, is walking around realizing what's in your head. And now God puts both of you together and he uses two sinners who were redeemed by the blood to crash into one another to realize who they are and see their need for Jesus. Amen. We come into this life and for my daughter who watches all these films and culture, we have this idea of how our spouse will be, how our life will be, how much money will come in, where we'll work, where we'll live, how easy life will be, how our sex will be. Amen. But the Bible says lean not on your what? Own understanding. It says, my ways, Brian, are not your ways. And last time I checked, I'm the guy preaching. I am definitely not God. Amen. They asked Billy Graham's wife, do you ever think about divorcing Billy? And she said, absolutely not. But I think about killing this man every day. That's what she said. Look it up. If you can say that about Billy Graham, and she's saying it in all sweetness but joking, what she's saying is marriage can be crazy and tough. I'm saying this to put some practical things into place. All of us are going to live one of two kinds of marriage. If you're writing something down, your marriage is either contractual or covenantal. What's a contract, you guys? You come over and fix my garage, I'm contracted to hand you a check. A contract says, you do your part, I'll do my part. Even though you might understand what covenant is, most of the time when you respond in that text... When you respond in that conversation, in those videos, you're responding out of a contract. You do your part, I'll do mine. If you're loving, I'll be loving. If you're suddenly bitter, I'm going to be bitter. If you're going to sin, I'm suddenly going to sin. But I'll tell you in Scripture, you don't find God encouraging you to live this kind of contract in any side of a way. The kind of love that me and my wife had to walk in is what? Covenantal. Covenant says you were born in sin. You were brought forth in iniquity, but you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. Covenant says never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And the problem is, and you've, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you've heard this, is that in the English language, we have this one word for love and it's love. Amen. So I love being here with you guys. I love waking up this morning. I love going surfing or jujitsu or chocolate or I love my kids and I love my wife and I love God. So does that really imply that the way I love hanging out with you guys is really as much as I should love God? Hopefully so. But is it the same as I love skating? Is it the same as I love taking a nap? No. But in the Greek, that isn't what we see. Of the four words for love, we're all familiar with this word. That's the most important. What is it? The agape love of God. This kind of love is 
covenantal. This kind of love is sacrificial. It's throughout Paul's letters over and over. It's sacrificial love giving whether you receive or not. It's sacrificial love in that God so loved the world that he gave his best. Amen. Or like Romans 5 and 8 says, God demonstrates his own agape love for us. That while you and I, church, we're yet still sinners, Christ died for us. We read the same thing in John 13, 34. A new command I give to you guys. What is it, Jesus? Agape love one another as I have loved you. Why did my marriage fail? It was contractual on both ends. There was no such thing as covenant. We had no clue. And if you go even deeper, we mentioned Song of Songs this morning. If you get into the Hebrew and look at Song of Songs, you're all familiar with it. It's this crazy poetry and romance. It's a play that's acted out on the stage. And it's this young maiden who's pursuing this man. And you say, well, what's going on in this role? She's saying things like, let him pursue me. Let him kiss me on the lips. And over and over and over, if you've read it, Song of Songs 2-7, what does it say? Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. This word for love is a Hebrew word, ahava. And what it means is, you have all these feelings, you have all these emotions, you have all these desires, all the things the world sells you in Hollywood. But Brian, don't take that ahava and put it on this woman unless you're ready to step into it the way God stepped into the covenant with you. Amen. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. As pastor was preaching last night, he talked of his wife who said, well, let's get married then. That was the decision to say, ahava. What that means is every day, However my wife is acting, however I might be acting, and I joked the other day, but I've heard pastors say, I don't even feel like a Christian until it's 10.30, and I've had two cups of coffee and read my Bible, amen? There's some level ground for us right there. But this idea is that daily, I need to make the purpose in my mind to covenantally love this wife. I'm going to love her regardless, because here's the reality. Some of the biggest blocks to us is that we actually tell ourselves, and it's not, the, not Satan, It's not the world, it's our minds. We say, if my wife could just do this, 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 then I'd be loving. If she was just the way she was when we first met, when what, you stayed up all night, didn't have kids, had no bills, and did whatever you wanted, life's easy. There's no such thing as responsibility in that story, amen? I mean, think about Israel, a side note for a little bit, but Israel wanted freedom. They begged God for freedom, and he showed up to a guy called Moses, gave him a burning bush, had him set them free, and they showed up to him mad. Why? Because they wanted freedom, but they didn't want responsibility. They didn't want accountability. Now that I'm married to this woman, I have to choose to put my love on her day in and day out, and it can't be based on what? Contract. It has to be purposed in this room for us. Covenant. I shared earlier how Jesus says, speaking about marriage, who God brings together, let no man separate. And if you have your Bibles or the verse will be on the screen, I want to read for us Matthew 19.3. What I want to do with these verses is, sure, we have some funny stuff in here, and I'm so thankful that both pastors put so much scripture in here and the life and the experience, because we need that, amen? But my goal is when you read this verse, it never looks the same to you. As before I spoke, not because of me, but because I need these verses. Amen. The Pharisees are coming to Jesus to challenge him. And they say a lot of crazy stuff, but they reveal a lot of truth. It says in Matthew 19.3, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him and they asked, Is it lawful, Jesus, for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? 
for some new fling because her body changes, because it gets old, because of that lady, like I said in the prayer group? Is it lawful? And I love what Jesus says in verse 4. What does he say? Haven't you read? So many of our problems are because Jesus is saying, haven't you read? This is the word of God. This is life-giving. Haven't you read, church, that at the beginning, that's important, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, cleft together. She takes his name. She wears the ring. If the two are virgins upon intercourse, there's a shedding of blood. There's a blood covenant. Amen. It's a supernatural union. And guys, let's be fair to the Pharisees. I would have asked this question. He says in verse 7, to Jesus. Why then, they asked. Why Jesus? Why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Good question. What does Jesus say? Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Why? Because your hearts were what? Hard. But it was not this way in the beginning. He says Moses permitted you. He didn't say God. He says Moses had to allow this because it was getting so reckless. There was so much hardness of heart. All your issues come from a hardness of heart. Not a trusting in the spirit. Amen. Whether we unpack Samson as a hardness of heart. He's throwing fists or hell's breaking loose. Whatever way we look at it, Jesus said twice, it was not this way from the beginning. And the last time I checked, when you and I confessed Jesus as Lord and he regenerated our hearts, what took place? All things passed away and all things what? Became new. That's the fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. When I'm going through it with my wife, when I'm walking towards divorce, when I'm walking towards sin, I am operating out of a hardness of heart, and I'm not depending upon who? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Even here when he says the only way you can even be divorced is after sexual immorality, can I tell you in that book that's out there? It's because a couple came to us after she having an affair, and the husband came home, caught her in the act, Went upstairs to get a gun and said, if I come down and shoot this guy, I'm basically in prison myself. And so 10 minutes later, I was sitting with them at a coffee shop. She really wasn't walking with the Lord. There was a hardness of heart. But I'll tell you in that book, there are three couples who have been through serious stages. And today they are doing amazing in Jesus. Why? Because after Jesus' forgiveness for you, there's no greater forgiveness than for a spouse to forgive a spouse. Or for a spouse to repent. Amen. And I walked up to them at a Starbucks falling apart. What I even tell this man? I said, are you willing to forgive? And he said, yes. Is she repentant? She said, yes. This is years ago now. There's no greater love than for him to forgive his bride. And for her to repent to the husband. And God has done a mighty work. Amen. If you have been there, I know it is hard to forgive. But the most difficult thing is forgetting, and you have to trust in the Lord. Amen? He says, this is because your hearts are hardened. Think about this. Jesus is going on now, and he's saying, from the beginning, from the beginning, from the beginning. Guys, what's the picture of marriage? When he talks about the beginning, where is he talking about? In Genesis. I remember reading Genesis for the first time. And God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? And he saw that it was what? Good. Good. Every single thing we see is good, but some of you know this. 
There was only one thing before sin, before the serpent, before the fall that God saw was bad. What was it? God saw that everything was good, but there was only one thing that was bad. It was that man was what? Was man alone? Hanging out with God. I mean, would you rather hang out with anyone else? Every time you ask God a question, it's only godly advice. Wouldn't that be nice? Amen? Man is not alone. He's hanging out with lions and tigers. There's no death. Everything's good. Nothing's going to kill him. There's never been a shedding of blood. But God says everything is good, but there's one thing that's not good. It's that man was alone. A few months ago, a guy was calling our church, freaking out. He'd never been there, going off on all these different people. My wife's doing this, and why don't you Christians do this, and all this stuff. And a pastor's wife says, why is he acting this way? Because it's not good that man is alone. Amen? When you leave in the morning to work, and it's chaotic, it doesn't feel good, it's not good. When you're here feeling distant from your wife, it's not good. So what did God do in Genesis? He said, it's not good that man is alone. God says, I'm going to create for him what? A helper. You guys know the story, right? God began, you know, bring all the animals. He's a goat and a pig and a sheep. And maybe you feel like your spouse is like that sometimes. Hopefully not. Amen. But thankfully, the Bible says that no suitable helper was found for the man. And all the men said, amen. But what did God do then? The Bible says that God caused the man to fall into a sleep. And that literally means trance. And he took from the man's side, this is rib structure, this is a cell. He took out from the man from where? His rib. He formed Eve, and where does woman go back to? His rib. We see this story here of God creating something that it's not good that man is alone. And why is this amazing? Guys, how many women did God bring to the man? Just one. I mean, for me, my wife is all the woman I can handle. I don't need more than that. Amen? But the reality is, that woman is the standard of beauty for me. She's 42, I'm 39. But I need to love her now like she's 60 or 80, because if not, it's not going to be love. We could talk about pornography and all this stuff the rest of the day. Guys, let's be really real. Men and women just fit together. Can we just play level ground here today? For the rest of your life, it's obvious these are all the things you would want to enjoy. Satan's going to bring them to you. He tempted them with three things in the garden. The same three things he tempted Jesus with in Matthew 4 and in First John. And what this means to me is I have to say, Lord, you've brought me one woman and she's all the woman I need. Amen. He took from the man and look at this woman was already part of him in a trance out from his cell structure. Created the woman. Man wasn't out there chasing her. God brought Eve to man and she comes back where she belongs. Like I said, wearing our ring. Through the shedding of blood, taking on the surname, and what begins to happen. When I'm sharing at marriage conferences to women, this is one of the main points I make. Why? Because the enemy has done such a good job of making women think they're something they are not. My mom used to say, men exploit women. And before she passed away, she said, Brian, women exploit women. You read the cover of these magazines, I forget what is a cosmopolitan, every single month, 365 ways, and it's always about sex. When was the last time any woman was told, you are the mystique of God? Only a woman can fulfill a man in that way, amen? If you prayed and fasted for me for the rest of my life, I hate to tell you this, but it does not come close to when my wife Tracy does it for me, amen? 
When you're sitting with a couple and you tell a woman, do you know the power you have and in whose image you are made? You're aligned with this man to make him live out the Great Commission. As you come alongside of them, it blows their minds. I mean, you think about the most popular chat show today, Oprah Winfrey, and if I'm right, she's never been married doesn't have children, doesn't believe the God, the Bible, but she's teaching all these women all over the world all kinds of craziness. Amen? When a woman understands who she is, the Ish and the Isha in the Hebrew, that they are together, cleft as one, a supernatural marriage, this is when you see God begin to move. But isn't it amazing that the serpent doesn't even show up until they're married? doesn't even show up until God begins to bless mankind and he sees what's going to happen. And so here's Adam asleep. And what does he say? He wakes up in verse 23. And this is often referred to as the first poem, but because we're in Long Beach, it's probably more blues, jazz, or maybe even rap. Amen. This is now, and I'm not going to do that. You have to forgive me big time. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called what? Woman, for she was taken from man. Literally, Adam looked at her in one of the cheesiest pastor jokes ever. He said, whoa, man. Amen. (laughs) Here comes the bride. They are one. If your pastor says that, laugh anyway. Amen. Thank you for humoring me. But God says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Why? Because it wasn't good that he was alone. I need that friend. I need that helper. I need that partner. I needed to step on my feet sometimes. I'm a skateboarder. I think it's good to go skating with your kids at 11.30 at night. Why? Because no one is in the parking lot at Ralph's. But I need my wife to say, that is very foolish, babe. Thank you. This is the reality. But if I said, and this is what's funny, I was going to take this to this place, and last night I was going to go somewhere else, and I felt like God totally changed direction today because I just feel the humility in this church. Amen? I mean, there's some men in here that have told me they're, older in their faith than I have been alive, and you're here coming to a conference. You're here encouraging me. I want to encourage the men of this house with what God is doing. Amen. We just thank the Lord. Well, here's the reality, guys. So if I say all this and you say, man, that is good stuff. God brought to Adam a woman, you know, and it's not good because of the hardness of my heart. But where do things really begin to change gears? Do me and my wife just simply say, God is good, God is faithful, we're in covenant, and it all makes sense? No. Here's the hard part, guys. After the coffee and the food and the jokes, you have to walk out these doors and get in your car, and you have to begin to live these things out in your life. Why? Because faith is an action. Faith is something we do. Why didn't God just rapture us out of here like Enoch and Elijah? Because he's left us here to be the salt and the light. And it begins with your spouse. Amen. Your spouse is your first sheep. So the Bible says it's God is for us who can be against us. And what's impossible for man is possible with God. And that tells us that if we really love our bride the way Christ loved the church, then love can never fail. That means even if she flees, even if she leaves, even if it's crazy, it's our depending on God. Why am I saying this? Because if I'd heard of all this and said, now I have it all figured out, I have to begin to apply it. You see, in my life, growing up in Liverpool, England, you're just passive aggressive. You walk down the street with me in England, a guy looks at you, and I don't know why, we just look at each other. And then someone says, what are you looking at? What's the problem? And they normally say something, and now it's fight or flight. If I walk around this room just pushing on all of you, some of you might swear at me, don't do that. Some of you might punch me in the face, don't do that. But sooner or later, you're going to fight or flight, amen? 
That's my life. English people really are soccer hooligans. I mean, the Queen and Mary Poppins even, they're crazy. But the reality is this. You put a guy like me in a marriage, and here's this great story, and I love this wife, but I'm still passive-aggressive. And now you put me with a woman, I'm trying to help you see. You have to leave this door and say, who am I? What am I? I mean, the Samson stuff's amazing. I'm like, wow, he's fully in the flesh. Look at how he's acting. Is it your anger? I was an angry guy. Fight or flight. Now you have my wife who was raised with a, yes, a beautiful dad, but her parents separated. So what happens? Her mom has to rise up and kind of be the commander in the house. If you encounter a single mother, she's going to be more like the lion, more rowdy. Why? Just to fend for the troops. So now you put me and my wife together. The first year of our marriage, we see this. I'm super passive. There's money coming. I'm doing whatever. And before long, we begin to butt heads. And I'm like, no, I'm done. Now I'm pouring it all out. What I'm saying is, how do you take two people as stubborn as that? And how do you allow the fruit of the Spirit to begin to work? Well, you know what happened for me? I had to go to anger management. I had to go to anger management. I never laid hands on my wife. I do in the, in the Spirit today. Amen? But for me, back then, I had, to, I had to go to anger management and realize, I have an issue with this. If a guy came in here right now doing something, I'd be one of the first guys to run over there because I want to take charge and take this guy down and do what's right. But in my marriage, I had to learn to go, okay. In anger management, they explain. When someone's just pushing on you or shoving on you or doing something, is an emotion. Here comes the emotion. Here comes the emotion. The Bible says in your anger, don't what? Sin. But it doesn't actually say don't be angry. Jesus was angry because he had zeal for the temple, a fulfillment of what David had spoken. That's why I believe he was a man after God's own heart. Amen. But Jesus had a righteous anger. But for me, the way I would act out, like Samson, the things I would do, it's not going to be good. I don't know what happens in your life when you begin to clash and you begin to fight. But I had to realize, because I know the verses. In your anger, don't sin. I'll let the sun go down on your anger. But I have to now begin to apply them. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Scientists will tell you today, if you begin to do something for seven days, it will change the pattern. If you begin to do it for 14 days, you'll become more committed. If you do it for 21 days, you are pretty much graved a canal in your brain and things are different. I had to learn to realize I don't need to use these words even when they come into my head. You wouldn't believe the things that he puts in your head, especially while you're preaching. Amen. Pastor's nodding his head up here. He'll try and take you everywhere. But the emotional part, that's who you are. That's how you react. That's what you do. But when you give life to it, that's the danger. And one of the things we were blessed by was that the old church we were partnered with that really launched our church, Rock Harbor. They had a a doctor over there, Dr. Roger Terabasi, and he said one of the most profound things he'd ever used in marriages, decades of helping marriages, was a thing called a de-escalating line. You see, my wife are fighting, and you're at lunch with us, and she says something, and I get up and walk out. I'm leaving because I'm out of here. But a de-escalating line in the middle of your chaos, rather than slamming the door or punching this or blurting out something about the the in-laws, often known as the outlaws, amen? Instead, what do you do? And this is our de-escalating line. We say, let's not do this. We love each other. This is not God's best. It's hard to do, but if you're about to fight and I say, babe, let's not do this. We love each other. This is not God's best. What it means is now when I go for a walk, it's because I want things to be right with you. 
What it means is now when I go pray, I'm doing this for us, and she feels love, and it gives the room. Because, man, you know this. If you and I were going to fight, you could call me 50 names, and I'm all mad and riled up, and as soon as we're done tumbling and we get up, I couldn't care less. You say one thing to your wife about 20 years ago, and it is still in the back of her mind. Amen? English people are really good at saying stuff they don't mean on the street because I'm trying to get a feel for you. What are you going to do? Blah, 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 blah. Explicits before I was in Christ. Amen? I had to train myself. And I'm saying this to say, I feel the Lord wanted me to go here today to say, you have to take everything you've... How am I doing on time, you guys? Am I okay? Okay. All right, guys. We're good. But I'm saying this to say, I want you to go home and take these and apply them. And here's why. I heard a pastor preaching recently in, in his church at a high-level military guy. And he was eating with them at lunch. And the guy had said, yeah, they've moved me into this new role. And my role is to raise up all these troops, like hundreds of troops beneath him. And my role is that when we go into battle, active battle, and they get captured, they won't compromise the knowledge. They won't compromise the intelligence. They won't, in a sense, begin to walk in the enemy's ways. And so the pastor, being pastoral, said, so you go and train troops how to put up with so much craziness. It sounds like a very biblical thing to know about. Amen? And he asked this guy, what is it you train them with? He said, there's two simple things that will break a man. First thing is this, deprive them of sleep. And all the men said, amen. If you can deprive a man of sleep, if you can wear them out and exhaust them, eventually they'll compromise. For 10 minutes of sleep, for 5 minutes of sleep, for simply laying down days and days and days and days, the goal is deprive them of sleep. Kind of sounds like a marriage, amen? The second thing that they do to break someone is we isolate them. It's not good that man is. So what does the enemy want to do in your marriage? Isolate you. That's why it's such a blessing to be here, because as Pastor said this morning, you're exposing yourself, and that's, that's your humility by the Spirit's leading. If I can make them alone, it's sad that marriage is the place where you are supernaturally in union with God and another human being. It's a, think about it. Salvation is a supernatural work of God, but after it, the greatest union is between a man and a woman, because God supernaturally does something. If I can take these soldiers, he says, and I can drain them, isolate them, wear them out, make them desperate, they will begin to compromise. You see, whether it's bitterness, anger, hatred, crime, affairs, the sin's always relevant. The enemy will tempt you. But as you're isolated or alone, this is where the enemy comes in. And what does that mean? It means the enemy will come in and begin to drop the bait. He parades around like a roaring wah, lion. He's the father of lies, been a liar from the beginning. He's the accuser of the brethren. So when I'm sick of my wife, and I'm like, why am I even at this conference? I'm a hypocrite. What am I even doing here? And now someone from my past, maybe I was 15, 16, a high school sweetheart messaged me online. This girl is just so cool. I can talk to her. Maybe you're at work and it's the opposite sex asking you about your issues. Look at the movies and the media, everything we're watching, whether it's friends, honestly, guys, to even the Golden Girls. I couldn't believe it. We left it on late night, and I'm like, they're always running around sleeping with everyone. What's going on here? But when you're worn out and you're drained, you begin to compromise. Some of the worst advice you will ever get, and I hate to say this, is from family and friends. They want you to be happy, and they'll tell you anything to make you smile, and you have to make sure you're getting it from the Word of God. Amen? 
How many supposed Christian counselors have sat with friends of mine? I'm like, can you show me that in the word of God? They might be making a living of you showing up for six months, but let's get everything we can in here and now. Amen? Because if we can be separated, that person from the past, the secretary, the whoever, that would have been better for you, you begin to distance from the Lord, hiding in the bushes like Adam, doing things your way, that's where these things open. If you go on my phone today, I can see where my wife is. I can see what she's doing. She has access to everything about me. Why? I need that. Amen? I believe God put me in a pulpit because I would have been so reckless if I didn't hold fast to the things of God. I'm focused on him when I'm here. I'm focused on him when you're encouraging me out there. I'm praying for you. You see, and Pastor nailed it in this morning, but what is the greatest sin? Pride. Pride. Do you know no one talks about pride anymore? It's not marketed as pride anymore. You know what it's marketed as today? Self-esteem, self-worth, self-value, self, 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 self. You nailed it with the magazines. I mean, how crazy is that? All the way down to me? I mean, it's called an iPhone. It's all about me. Amen? YouTube. Think about it. YouTube. My space. It's all about us. And Satan doesn't even need you to follow him. All he needs you to do is want to glorify yourself the way he did. I say it so much to remind myself the biggest hindrance to God's ministry is my ministry. Satan didn't even make them eat the fruit. It was already there in their hearts. But I'm saying this because in your marriage, in that time to leave, slam the door, do something stupid, that comes from a place of pride. And there's the emotion where you act out and crazy things happen. Of all those couples that fell into affairs, they never wanted it. They said, how did I get here? How did I arrive here? Did you guard your heart? Did you look out for pride? What's the opposite of pride? Humility. Humility. Amen. Why did you guys go to war? Why did that nation bomb that nation? They were just so humble. No. Why did you divorce your spouse? So she's the humblest person you've ever... Why did you punch that person in the face? They were saying all these humble things to me. It's so funny because it's that obvious that it's not obvious. Amen. Humility, and it's hard. Why, as Pastor said, we want to take the hill. We want to take control. We want to do all these things. But pride is the opposite of humility. And what does Ephesians 5 say to us in 21? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a lot of things I can get done. I mean, I'm preaching today. I think this Bible even has my name on it. Look at how holy I am. No. My wife is my first sheep. Am I submitted to God? And guys, this is hard. I'm a planner. I'm a thinker. I can make something happen. God's like, I don't care about that. You're trying to move the mountain. I want you to submit out of reverence for me and to lead your home the way I've called you to be. Do you realize you are the head of the house? He doesn't say try to be. He says you are. And I want to close with a couple of thoughts if I have a few more minutes. Amen. There's a couple of practical things. Listen. This will change your life. You know it already, but you need to go be diligent. You go to Home Depot to buy some materials to take them to build something, or you can't do it. Home Depot's there, but you got to go and get the stuff. These are all things God has called us to do. God has these kind of conferences to draw attention. First thing you need in your marriage, it is hard to do, is to pray and worship together. I've had men walk up to me outside, I don't even know, chest to chest, loving on me, praying. That's easy. Is it that easy to pray with your wife? Is it that easy to pray with my wife when she knows what I said or what I thought or what I'm wrestling with? 
in our marriages, we need to be able to pray and worship. My wife is really big on crafting. See how this played out in my life? She likes to craft. Here's a cool craft book. Babe, can you begin to write our prayers down? She makes it look all beautiful, all amazing. We don't do it enough. We don't do it every day like I wish we could. Because God leads us in different ways. Amen. But taking that time to pray, coming in as Pastor said, standing alongside of her when she's at the cooker or putting the kids to bed and just holding her, praying into her. Hey, can we pray? One of the most powerful times for me is when I'm going to speak somewhere and we're so busy and I say, babe, I'm leaving right now, but can you take some time to pray for me? There's like a closure, like a stamp. We're going to battle. And the second thing is worship. How many battles were just won in the Bible through worship? There was a favorite meme years ago about the walls of Jericho, and it listed the craziest army, and it said, verse some toot-toot boys. It literally means that they walked around playing music. All they did was worship, and God gave them the victory. How much do I pray and worship for my marriage? Second thing is read. We need to be able to read together because the Bible says that you and I wash our wives in the what? The word. That means I need to know it. You don't need to be a theologian. No one knows as much as they wish as they did. That's the way the Bible is made because only God is God. And if you're trying to get there, God says you only know in part. Let it go. Amen. What we need to do is to be able to take the word and read together. And guys, this can be practical. Years ago when my mother was passing away, my wife miscarried almost four and a half, five months along. We were going through it in the flesh like we'd never seen. And we got the simplest book from the Christian bookstore, a James Dobson book called Nightlight. 365 days, I'm not in partnership with them, I'm not trying to sell some book, but it was one page a night. And it was 365 days. And when I traveled or I was somewhere else, I would print out those pages, we would read it, I could do it on a plane, I could do it on the drive home, someone else was driving, and I could talk to my wife about it. Why? Because what is a marriage, guys? And it was said in the first video, I don't know if you caught it. A relationship is what? Relating. When I first met my wife, look at how you look. Look at how you act. I want to buy you this. I want to take you here. I want to spend time with you. We're relating in all the positive things. Well, now that we're married, and there's bills and kids and tiredness and craziness. I mean, I'm doing this, and our our bathroom just flooded. Amen. And my wife's taking the family down to like San Diego to a wedding in the rain today. So how's that relating? But guys, your wives want you to lead and they want you to take command. And this idea of submission, we talked about it yesterday. I can't tell my wife to do it because if she does it because I make her, that's called subjection. I have to wash her in the word and show her why God wants us to do what we do, mutually submitted to him. And then she gets the blessing of choosing to submit or not. Amen. If I'm not reading this stuff, she's going because you tell me, bro, pick up the wood and hit it with a nail. I'm going to do it. I could do it. It's pastor only to preach. I'm right here. It doesn't work that way with your wife. Amen. You got to read it and highlight it and put pretty little pink things and say, babe, what do you think that means? As to say, don't do that. I'm going to get you smacked. <laughs> third thing, third thing, guys. And when I'm sitting with couples with women, we need to know how to play together. Both in the fun stuff, but as Pastor said last night, in the physical. Couple after couple, and the woman will say, he won't go to church, he won't read, he won't pray. And I say, how is your sex life? I won't be physical with him right now. 
If your walk is a car and the first wheel's church, the next wheel's worship, the next wheel's giving, whatever, whatever you want to put on there, and one of the wheels is sex, as soon as you take any one of these wheels off, is the car going to drive straight, yes or no? God has called us as men, and I forget who it was years ago that said it. Men don't want sex, they need sex. We carry a seed. I'm not saying to go in and pregnant all these people, but you know what it's like. Your boss can chew you up, you go home and you're physical. You're like a whole new person. Women don't realize this. You can romance them and dine and all the rest of it. But listen, the marriage bed is undefiled. When I'm telling couples, I say, you need to be able to be led by him unless it's extreme or sinful. But this is something you need to bring about. First Corinthians 7. But the Bible says, in Genesis, sex is for having children. It's for unity. They'll become one flesh. In Song of Songs, it's for pleasure. There's never a child mentioned. It's only between them, never for multiplication. And in this verse, in 1 Corinthians 7, it is for protection. If you were physical to your wife, with your wife before you went to work, you think you're noticing everyone that day? You think you're frustrated by Friday? No. And the final thought I want to leave us with is this. People say all the time, how do I find my gifting? How do I find my purpose? Guys, it's simple. By serving. Amen. I come to church. What do you need me to do? Begin to do this. Begin to do that. Not just in the building. That's not what Pastor was saying about coming tonight. You need to get in the house of God, get spiritually worked out, and take it. Think about this. Aside from Ephesians, there's one verse I've heard the whole time we've been here, and I was going to really focus on that up until last night when God kind of switched it. But what is the goal? Jesus showed up. He's baptized in the Jordan. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He goes out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He goes in his synagogue in Luke 4. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, and he makes this whole list. If you read in Luke 4, you are somewhere in that list. Somewhere in the list is how you fit into the body, how you begin to serve. But then he shows up to some fishermen. We heard about it in a prior sermon. Peter and Andrew, James and John. What are Jesus' first words to any believers? Listen to me, guys. This is the point I want to make. Yes, my story. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, those verses are relevant. But when you go speak at a rehab... I'm not telling you to get off drugs. I'm telling you to follow him, fish for men. When you're struggling with your faith, follow him, fish for men. This is throughout every scripture. Following him, fishing for men. Following him, fishing for men. Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. A few verses later, the rabbis come challenge him. What's the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind. That's following him. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's fishing for men. He shows them for three and a half years how to do this. Dies and resurrects. Shows up to them and says, guys, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I've been like, wow. I thought we were taking over Rome. I mean, Jesus got killed. Peter fled and denied him. They all bailed aside from John. Here's Jesus. He's resurrected. This is a miracle. We're hanging out, freaking out, right? Some doubted, the Bible says. Jesus, what's the plan? And we've heard this throughout the theme this week. What is the plan? Now that all authority has been given to me, I want you to go. Any theologians in here? You guys have heard me say this, right? If you get into the word go in the Greek, what does it mean? Go. 
Guys, what he says is, Brian, follow me and fish for men. Follow me. If I'm prepping messages today, my wife's in line with it. If I'm working at Starbucks, my wife's coming. Hey, have your business, babe. Do what you want to do. I'm all for that. But if I'm focused on him, think about it. The only reason we are here is to win souls. I'm an evangelist by design. You can probably tell I could preach for five hours on this verse. But the second I die, my ministry stops. What ministry lasts forever? The whole theme of the Bible, Exodus 8.1. Let my people go that they may what? Worship me. Your marriage, my marriage, this church, all your gifts and talents, everything we do, is so the people will come to know Jesus and worship him. And I'll finish with this thought. One of my favorite wordings is by a guy called John Piper. Simple. Listen to this. Missions exist because worship doesn't. That's it. All things made by him, for him, through him. I was designed to walk with God, exiled in Genesis. Here we are thousands of years later. Are they building the temple? Are we going to go into Revelation, all this stuff? Why? So we can worship him. Guys, our issue isn't an issue of marriage. It's an issue with God. And God has dealt with that issue. Amen. He's shed his blood. There's now no condemnation. We heard it last night, Romans 8, 1. And as pastor unpacked it today. So let me pray for us for a moment if we could just bow our heads. God, I know for some in here, just getting here was a journey. We are sitting here and we are thinking if this was easier and that, why is that guy so happy? And is this guy's marriage really this good? And what did I do? And why is it falling apart? And Lord, your word says it rains on the just and the unjust. Who knows what can happen today? Bible says don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have its own anxiety. Meaning we're living in an anxious world. But God, the closure we get is in you. And I pray that any people that have came in here this weekend who are playing around with you or feeling distant from you, like they don't qualify, God, none of us qualify. There goes us, the whole church, but by your grace. But Lord, what you did was you put a man on a cross, not just a man, but the only man who was never meant to go there. Yet he went there for you and I. And God, it has been paid. It has been finished. What a blessing it has been to me to hear testimony and story and teaching and encouragement. But Lord, all of that is for the purpose that people would know. We can cry out to you. We can put our faith in you. Maybe a friend brought you. Maybe your faith is shaky. And our challenge is even today. Reach out to someone that you're close to. Reach out to a pastor. Reach out to someone if it's an issue of faith. And for the rest of us, God, I pray for marriages. You are a God of marriage. You are good and faithful. You are still here to pastor our marriage, no matter what we did or they did. Grace and mercy is renewed every day, and we have an abundance of it. Lord, I pray over this church, this ministry, these men, that you bless them, that you lead them, that you direct them. In the name of Jesus, we pray and say, amen. to you by the One Story Podcast.